So we are starting a new series today, uh, pretty exciting, um, a series specifically based on relationships. And we're going to be looking at various forms of relationships and, 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 and at the power and meaning of relationships, what God intended for our relationships um, in the series called Sacred. And, um, and, and we're hoping and we're trusting that God is going to give us a truer perspective of the relationships that we're in and how He intends to work in, this, in those relationships, how He intends to work through those relationships, how He shapes us and molds us and, and uses the relationships that we have. And here's the, here's the great part about it, not just the good relationships. Did you know that God doesn't only work in your good relationships or in the relationships that are going well, but sometimes Jesus does His best works in the difficult relationships, in the relationships that are a challenge and a struggle, that, that co-worker that you struggle with. Do you know that that co-worker that you have to see on a Monday morning and, and, and you pray every week that they would just quit their jobs and move to another city and that you wouldn't have to see them every day and the very sound of their voice is like nails on a chalkboard and you're like, Jesus, intervene, help me, help me with this person. Do you know that that person could be an agent of God's grace in your life? It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe, and you don't want to believe it, but, but the truth is, is that God uses our relationships, and He uses the people that we have connected with and that we are around daily to shape us and to mold us and to do something beautiful in us. And we want to look at the beauty and the blessing of, of connectedness and, and how each relationship that we have is not just an inconsequential part of life. That it's not just something that, that, um, that, that is a practical part of living in a city or in a society, but that each of the relationships that we have in our lives is sacred. And, and I fully believe that there are some things that God can only do or that He chooses to only do in our lives through our relationships with others. God has got a, a journey for you, an intended path, a process, and that process is not one of isolation. It's not one that you can take on by yourself. It's not one that you can do alone. It's one that He intends for you to walk out in the company of others. You know, everybody longs for community. Everybody longs for connection. Everybody longs for, it's a, it's a longing of our souls, all of us. We're, we're created that way. Yet, the one thing that we cannot have without commitment is community. So commitment is something our society just, uh, you know, doesn't enjoy. We, we see it here at church. People will visit Anchor Church for like a year before signing up to be members because they don't want to be tied down. They don't want to be committed and then they're going to have to get involved and then they're going to have to kind of, you know, the pastors, they, they want to stay anonymous because anonymity prevents you from having to be committed because nobody will ask where you are if you're not there in the morning. But then at the same time, they go, why, don't, why do I feel alone? Why do I feel like I don't have community and friends? Like, but you cannot have community without commitment. And so this is a real challenge for us, especially in our day and age, and it's the reason why we felt as a team that speaking on the, the sanctity and the sacredness of relationships in all forms is so important for our church, so important for our lives. Um, and so we want, we want to encourage you in that today. We're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at love. We're going to look at parenting. We're going to look at friendship. We're even going to look at workplace relationships for some of you that need grace in that area. And we trust that on this journey, God is going to encourage you in your connections, that you're going to find grace for greater intimacy 
in your relationships and, and that you'll be able to walk with others and that we'll be able to walk together in the same way that Jesus walks with us. That's our, our heart and our intention and what we believe God's going to do through the series. Uh, we'll be doing it for about the next six weeks, and we just know that there is so much that we can share that will help you in your life. Um, I'm going to start off this morning by going to John chapter number 13. I'm going to read from verse 3. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. I'm just going to pause there, just leave that scripture up there. Just going to pause there and say, um, right up, right off the bat, one of the most important things to you being able to be a servant in your relationships and, and, and loving people correctly is for you to know where you come from and where you're going to. It's based on a healthy identity. Healthy relationships are formed between people that have healthy identities. When you're walking in insecurity and when you're walking in fear and when you're walking in lack and when you're walking in self-doubt, that's often when we sabotage our relationships. But Jesus knew who he was and he knew where he was going to. He knew he was from the Father and that gave him the platform to be a servant rather than requesting everybody to serve him or to, to boost his ego or make him feel better about himself. And one of the biggest problems that we have in our relationships is that we're approaching them thinking, what can I get from this rather than what can I give to this? And so right off the bat, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, um, if we do not receive the grace of God, if we do not allow Jesus to cleanse us, then we will not be able to partake in him or love others in the same way. So he says, if I do not wash you, you have no share in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. So now Peter's like, just, you know, give me a complete bath here. Like, let's just get the whole thing done, which is so like Peter. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed, does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, that's the identity, but not every one of you talking about um, Judas, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put out on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. That we should serve one another, love one another, wash each other's feet, and, uh, and be there for one another. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us this morning in our, in our series. I want to ask, are we recording in the back? We're good. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us this morning, and, uh, and then we'll continue uh, in this series. Let, let's pray together. Jesus, we just thank you, God, that first and foremost this morning that we can know that our identity is established in you, that we know where we come from, that we come from your heart, that we were ordained, that our lives matter, that they were, that they were uh, 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 preordained before the foundation of the earth, that we should be alive today, living and standing in the relationships that you have given us. 
We thank you, God, that we know where we come from. We, we, we know where we're going to. We know that our eternity is, is secure and that we have a place in the Father's house, that we have a place in heaven, and that we do not need to be insecure in this life because we can know that you are for us. We just thank you for that, God. And as we go through this series, increase our capacity for love. Increase our capacity for, uh, uh, for compassion. Increase our capacity for intimacy. Increase our capacity for selflessness, Lord. We pray that you would do a miracle in our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. So I actually came across a YouTube video that shows you how to avoid hugs. All right, some of you might not be huggers, but can you believe that somebody actually created a demonstrational video of how to avoid hugging another human being? Like, that's the levels that we're going to. So I thought I'd, I'd uh, display some of these techniques to you this morning just to show you what not to do, all right? We don't believe in these techniques. We don't want you to practice them. I'm just going to show you just for fun. So, Will, can you come up this morning? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have Will help me out this morning. Um, and basically, I'm going to show you. So if you have, especially if you come here to church, you know, here at Anchor Church, we are huggers, and we will hug you, okay? Just go with it. Just go with it, because we will hug you. Um, so don't, don't apply this tactic here at church. But if somebody comes towards you, arms out like this, and, um, and, and you know, they, they're ready for the hug, this is one way that you can avoid it. Let's show them well. All right, so that's the one way. You hit them right in the middle where the elbow bends, and you fold their hands in, and you hold their hands, okay? The second way is if they're coming in, what if they're coming in like a little bit skew, so they're you know, sideways, so it's, it's a little bit harder to kind of get them in the elbows, this is what you do. Hey. <laughs> the forced high five, okay? The forced high five, you give them a high five. Then you get some people that are hip huggers. They don't go out here, they come in from here. Okay, so if you have a hip hugger, this is what you do. Keep them at arm's length. And then finally, if you're facing somewhere, and you know some people are just super, super affectionate physically, um, and they'll, they'll actually try and hug you from behind, this is what you do. <laughs> All right, come on, let's give Will a big round of applause. <laughs> so that's what we do not want to do, all right? We want none of those techniques here at Anchor Church. Um, but can you believe that our world has put out YouTube instructional videos of how to avoid hugs? Come on, it's a hug. You're not going to die. But we're so skeptical as a society, and we live in a world where actually people are lonelier than ever. Back in the 1980s, they did a study to find out uh, how many adults actually experience loneliness frequently or, or would describe their lives as lonely. And they, they found back then that 20% of adults said that they feel lonely in this world. Um, they did that same study again recently, and in the last 20 or 30 years, it's doubled. Now, 40% of adults claim to be lonely, say that they experience loneliness on a regular basis, that they don't have meaningful relationships, that they don't feel supported and loved and cared for, that they don't have close people that they can confide in. And this is, so this has become an epidemic in, in our world, this, this sense of loneliness and isolation in our world. Um, and, and, and oftentimes it seems like the bigger the crowd, the lonelier the soul. 
You can experience crowded loneliness where we live in a city with, if you take all the metropolitan areas together, 11 million people, and we can't even know three of them. We can't be in a community with a few of them. We, 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 you know, we, we know so few people on a, on a real level um, that it actually hurts us. This hurts us more than we know. It hurts us not only emotionally and psychologically, but it actually has some physical and physiological effects on you and your well-being. I read a, a, an article by Jessica Olin where uh, she wrote this. She said, studies of elderly people and social isolation concluded that those without adequate social interaction were twice as likely to die prematurely. Elderly people without social interaction are twice as likely to die prematurely. The increased mortality risk is comparable to that from smoking. And loneliness is about twice as dangerous as obesity. Social isolation impairs immune function and boosts inflammation, which can lead to arthritis, type 2 diabetes, and heart disease. Loneliness is breaking our hearts, but as a culture, we rarely talk about it. Loneliness is breaking our hearts. Do you know that when you hug somebody, that there's actually a hormone that is released that repairs the damage that stress does to your heart? It's called the cuddle hormone. When, when you have a phone call with your mom or when you give somebody a hug, when you experience that relational intimacy and warmth, your body actually responds by repairing, by releasing anti-inflammatories, natural anti-inflammatories that repair the damage that stress and worry and concern have done to your life. It's why we naturally, when we're in a difficult situation, want to talk to somebody. It's why we want to hug somebody. It's why we want somebody to stand with us or sit with us or just, even if they say nothing, just, just hold your hand because you know subconsciously your body knows that it needs that hormone. This is how God has created us. We are absolutely wired and developed and designed for relationships. We're not developed to, to do this on our own, to, to face life on our own. And so we will experience broken hearts, strained hearts, which comes out in all forms of, of, of illness and, and disease in our lives. It's why we crave genuine connection. We are relational beings because our God is a relational God. It's the very reason why you're alive today. The scriptures make it very, very clear. Why did God create us? To have a relationship with us. He is a relational God. You see, the, the, the effect can never be greater than the cause. That's, that's, a, that's a law in science. And we are the cause. God is the effect. So if he is relational, we are relational. We're in his image. And he created us so that we could know him. All throughout the scriptures, God shares this about his heart, that he longs to be our God and that we would be his people. He talks about how coming into a relationship with God is not about being religious. If you're a visitor here today, we, are, we don't believe in religion here at Anchor Church. It's not about being religious. It's not about a program. It's not about self-help. It's about a real relationship with a real person called Jesus who longs to walk in a relationship with you. And so he says, you haven't received a spirit of bondage or a spirit of slavery leading to bondage again. This is not about rules and regulations and principles and trying your best to be a better version of yourself. This is, we have received a spirit, it says in Romans, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy God, there's that intimacy, that relationship. That's what we come to when we come to Jesus. We come to a real relationship with him and with each other. And God wants us to experience that because he wants us to experience the fullness 
of what he designed us for. And all of us were designed for relationships. You were designed for community. You were designed for, for a future. You were designed to walk with others. You were designed to be a blessing in the lives of others. It's, it's part of the fullness of God's purpose. And if you don't have it, you're missing out. There's nothing else that you can substitute that for. There's a multiplication factor that God has built into experiencing moments when you're able to share it. It multiplies the joy. It multiplies the effect of the moment. This is how we were intended to experience life. We weren't meant to enjoy them alone. But we are alone in this world oftentimes. Our society is very private and alone. And so what we've done is we have filled that void that we feel with artificial fillers to try and make us feel less alone. And I believe that that is where social media is actually a manifestation. It came about from the desire of our community and our world and our society to feel less isolated. It's the reason why hundreds of millions, if not billions of people are on social media is because it's just more evidence of our craving for connection, how much we want genuine connection. And in fact, what uh, we learn in science is that you can actually become addicted to social media. You can be completely addicted to your phone because when you see that somebody has liked one of your posts or when you see that somebody has commented or sent a message, you get a shot of dopamine delivered to your brain. The same thing that you would feel if, the, if you were taking drugs or if you were eating sugar or any other addictive thing where it, it creates a neural pathway and it gives you a shot of dopamine that makes you feel good. When, you're, when you get a notification going off on your phone, your brain gets a shot of dopamine. That's why we can be addicted to social media because we long for that relationship. We long for that connection. We long to feel um, like we're connected. But then, have you ever been friends with somebody on Facebook or on social media, and then you see them in real life? You're like, I don't even really know you. And you don't know how to say hi to them. Like, you like all of each other's posts. You've seen their photos. You know where they went on holiday in 2007. You, I mean, you've seen everything about their lives, but now you see them actually the physical person, and you're like, hey. <laughs> and some of it is due to the mistrust or the distrust that we have developed as a society. I'm going to give you three reasons why we struggle with connection, and we're going to trust that God is going to help us all in our relationships, and as I said, we're going to look at relationships in different contexts, but we're going to look at, one of the, at some of the reasons, and the first one today is that we have, as a culture, developed a world of distrust. We have a culture of distrust or mistrust, and and, 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 and um, and we, it blocks us off. It keeps us, we, we're constantly wondering what the motives of others are. This happened to me a while ago. I went to the movies and uh, I grabbed my popcorn. And you know when you're a little bit late, you got your popcorn, the movie's starting like five minutes, you just want to make it in. And I've got my popcorn and I'm heading to, towards the, the place where you hand in your ticket. And, and as I'm walking, um, somebody, somebody's like, hey, and, and they walk towards me like with their hands out. And so initially I'm like, oh, hi. And then I look at the person, I'm like, I don't recognize them at all. Like I have no idea who this person is. And so I put my hand out and once I realize, I don't know who this person is, I even retract my hand. I'm like, uh, hi, you know? And I'm like, I don't know if you've ever done that. Um, and honestly, my initial thought was they're gonna ask me for petrol money. Have you ever had those people come to you and they're like, you know what, man, my car broke down, I have a family, my family's just down the road, and um, you know, I just need 10 rand, 20, do you have 20 rand for petrol, you know, I'll, I'll even leave my ID with you, I'll come back. I thought it was one of those, I'm like, no, don't ask me, I'm watching a movie, don't ask me for money. 
And so they're like, hi. And so, and so I'm like walking away. And the guy goes, you sometimes preach at my school. And so I'm like, oh, hey. <laughs> like, just seemed like the most uncaring pastor in the world right there. And, and the worst was when he was like, so how are your twins doing? I'm like, this guy knows my family. Like, I had no idea who he was. I didn't even want to shake his hand. But that's the culture of distrust that we've developed. We're like, when somebody is nice to us, we're like, I don't know you. Why are you talking to me? Like, you know, we can't even have conversations with strangers because we, we don't know their motives. And we seem to think that everybody is out to, to get something from us. Um, and so we, we've created that culture as a people and as a society. And that's, one of the, and that's the first reason why we struggle with connections. The second one is that many of us have been hurt. So some of us have been hurt and have experienced hurt, and, and, and I would venture to say that all of us here have been hurt through relationships at one point or another, to varying degrees. And for some of us, this might have started at a very young age. If you come from a broken home, or um, if there was divorce in your family, or if there was abuse in your family, or if, if you were disappointed through relationships, many of us have been disappointed by those who were meant to protect us, and instead, they were the ones that hurt us. That produces insecurity and disappointment and hurt within us. We've been let down by our relationships. We've had people not walk in the fullness of integrity in regards to their relationship with us and their commitment to us. And we've had people turn their backs on us and we've been dropped and we've been stood up so many times and, and we actually feel that pain. It's something that's very real to us and we carry it around with us. And it's something that clutters our souls. We're not able to be free sometimes. We're not able to just trust people and step freely into relationships and allow relationships to develop because we're so busy guarding ourselves, trying to protect ourselves from being hurt again, trying to protect ourselves from being disappointed again. If you, if you don't hope in anything, you can't be disappointed. If you don't put yourself out there, if you don't, if you don't take a risk, then you can't be let down, you can't be hurt. And it clutters our souls. We carry around as people, often a heaviness in regards to our relationships, which hardens and, and, and forms a distrust and, and a hurt and some unforgiveness and some bitterness. And we carry these things around with us, and then we wonder why we struggle to connect with others, why we never make any new friends, why we, we can't be vulnerable in the relationships that we do have, why our marriages struggle, or why our, our relationships with our families struggle, why our friendships are often sabotaged, but it's because we're so busy looking out for, uh, for, for, for how they're going to hurt us that we decide to distance ourselves before the hurt comes. This is one of the things I often say that there's nothing worse than a nervous driver on the road. Have you ever been stuck behind a nervous driver? Like hesitates every, you know, every second. You just, like, you know, just changing lanes or, or doing something simple becomes an issue because they're so afraid of causing an accident that they actually cause an accident. That's the problem. And we do that in relationships. We're so afraid of being hurt that we actually cause hurt, that we actually put ourselves in a position to hurt others and, and, and we sabotage our relationships. So we carry these things around and then we often wonder, why do I struggle to connect? Why do I struggle to be a part of a community? Why do I struggle to be free? As I mentioned, many of us come from broken homes and we've experienced the hurt of, of relational breakdown. And that's very real this morning. It creates a fear in us. 
It's one of the reasons why our, our generation and younger people today are getting married later and later in life because they have themselves been hurt through their parents' breakups or breakup of relationships, and they are determined to not make the same mistake, but then they become like one of those hesitant drivers that by, by being so hesitant, they actually end up making the mistake. They actually end up feeling that hurt. But it creates a fear in us, an insecurity that's created as a result of the question, why did they drop me? Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Am I, does, do, do people really love me? Is there something wrong with me? Those are the kinds of insecurities that these hurts that we've experienced create in us. And I want to tell you this morning, it prevents us from experiencing God's best for our lives. This keeps us from experiencing all that God has for you and your relationships and what He wants to do in your heart and in your life. Because God has got something for you. He has got more for your life. Better relationships. He, he wants to put people around you that can support you, that can, that can uh, stand by you, that can encourage you, that, that can help you heal. Do you know that sometimes we pray to God for healing and then He sends people to help us in that process? And then we turn those people away. And we keep asking, oh, God, heal me. And He says, but can you just let the people who I've sent into your life, can you just let them be involved, because they'll often be the way that God applies the healing balm in your life. He'll apply it through others. And so we have to trust Him to do that. And here's the reality this morning. We're under no illusions this morning that people are imperfect. And, that, and, and when we say people, we include you. All of us are imperfect, and so whenever you're going to get involved in a real relationship that isn't just for show, that isn't just surface level, that isn't just high and by, whenever you get involved in a real relationship, there will always be an element of hurt. There will always be an element of letting each other down. There will always be an element of dealing with each other's imperfections. And Paul actually writes about this in Scripture, and he writes about it. And in writing about it, he doesn't even say, hey guys, I don't want you to hurt each other, or I don't want you, I want you to be as perfect as possible towards each other, or I want you to try your best to be your best for each other. He actually acknowledges the fact that if we're going to be in a relationship with each other, that we're going to have to walk in forgiveness, that we're going to have to make room for each other's faults, that we're going to have to uh, uh, be there for each other. And he says this in, in Colossians 3 verse 12, he says, since God Listen to this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, he loves you. He has relationship with you. Since he chose you to be those people, you must clothe yourself. Put it on. Clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. He's talking about the church. Some people are like, I don't want to go to a church because I'm offended by the church. Yes, we know. We know. We do our best not to offend anybody, but we're people, and sometimes you will be offended. But you know what? The Bible speaks to that. And what the Bible says is, forgive. Have grace. Make room. We're not perfect. You're not perfect. Your connect group won't be perfect. Your pastors won't be perfect. The people you meet at church won't be perfect. Realize that right now and ask God for the grace to make room for others in your life because you want them to make room for you. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember 
Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. The only way that we'll have unity as a church is if we walk in love, intentionally choosing to walk in love towards one another. Because in a real community, there will be some hurt. There will be some offense. There will be some faults. But God gives us grace so that we can have that grace for each other. When it comes to our relational problems, it's easy for us to blame others. Oh, the, the church offended me, or she dropped me, or, or he said something I didn't like, or, or this happened, or, or they did this, and if it wasn't, and, and, and it's amazing how, uh, you know, we'll say something like, you know, I don't want to be friends with her because she's a gossip. She just gossips, and she tells everybody, everybody else's business, and I don't want to be associated with someone who gossips, but right now, when you're doing that, you're gossiping about somebody who gossips. It's literally why Jesus said, if you're going to take the splinter out of somebody else's eye, make sure you don't have a plank in yours. Because we love to judge others for their sins while ignoring our own. And so when we recognize that we're also at fault, we're gossiping about those who gossip, then we understand that sometimes this is the third reason um, that we experience difficulties in connecting with others, is because of us. We're the problem. The real problem is you. As I said before, you're the common denominator in all of your relationship. Relationships. I love the answer that G.K. Chesterton once gave. There was a time when um, the Times newspaper sent out an inquiry to famous authors asking the question, what's wrong with the world today? What is wrong with the world today? And Chesterton, this was his reply that he sent in to the newspaper. He said, dear sir, I am. Yours, G.K. Chesterton. What's wrong with the world today? Dear sir, I am. What's wrong with the world today? Sincerely yours. That was all he replied. Because we, as people, are selfish. We're self-centered. We're greedy. We're impatient. We're broken. And so some of you are saying, I will get into a relationship with somebody or I will, I will be friends with somebody, or I will go on a journey with a church or a community when I find that perfect person, or that, that perfect community, or that perfect friendship, or that perfect partner that's worthy of a relationship with me. But if we apply the same standard that we apply to others, to ourselves, the truth is we probably wouldn't be friends with us. You wouldn't be friends with you if you applied your standards to them. And so we can be really harsh as critics, and we can become so self and, 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 and inwardly focused that we miss opportunities to connect with others. Have any of you ever had a spider in your car? This has happened to me more than once. This last week, it happened to me again. I get into my car, and I see what looks like spiderweb on the windshield going across. I'm like, that is weird. And um, then I'm driving, and it's at night, and across the windshield walks a fairly big spider, like right across, like not a daddy long legs. Um, like my kids would say, it was a baby short legs. And, um, <laughs> you know, baby short legs are poisonous. So, so this baby short legs walks across my windshield. And, um, and so now I'm like, I'm driving and I'm putting on the light and, and I'm trying to find the spider and see inside of the car. And I forget to focus on what's outside of the car. And I nearly crash my car. I nearly drove right into the curb and jumped a red, a red light because I'm trying to find a spider on the inside. 
And sometimes that's our issue, is that we're so focused on what's happening on the inside, and we're so focused on what we are feeling, and we're so focused on what our insecurities are, and we're so focused on what's happening in our lives, that we forget that we're created to drive on the outside. We're created to be focused on what's outside of us, not just what's happening on the inside. And so, um, and, and it's one of the ways that we just lose sight, we lose perspective of the sanctity of relationships. In other words, so often we're so busy dealing with us that we forget to help and encourage and support and strengthen others. And just to finish off with the spider story, I couldn't find him. Um, the next day I was driving my kids home from school and the spider was walking on the back of the seat. Now you can imagine three little boys in the back of a car and a, you know, a spider walking across. It was pandemonium. I pulled the car off on the side of the road. I went looking for it. It was gone again. Couldn't find it. <laughs> Two nights later, I got back into my car. I saw the spider wave. I'm like, he's here. <laughs> Felt his presence. Looked everywhere, couldn't find the spider. This thing's amazing. Um, I reversed out. I knew it was somewhere, and I looked up, and it was right next to my mirror, and it just sitting there laughing at me, <laughs> mocking me. And um, so I pulled the car over again, middle of the night, in the road, and now I'm trying to, I'm just telling this story for fun. It's a great story. So, so I see the spider there, and it's just looking, and it's not moving. It's a, it's a stare down, you know, standoff. I'm like, I'm going to kill the spider. But have you ever tried to hit a spider, but you're so nervous that you hit everything but the spider? And then it drops down, you won't find it again. I'm like, this is my opportunity. I have got to be assertive, direct, intense. You know, I've got to get the spider. And so I'm trying to think what I can hit it with. I have like an empty bottle in my car. I'm like, that would probably cause damage to my vehicle. And I'm trying other things. And all of a sudden, I see a sock. I'm like, if it falls on my hand, it's not going to bite my hand. I put a sock on my hand. You just picture me, middle of the night, sock on my hand you know, and then there was a a coffee cup from a cup of coffee I had that day, so I took that, and then it was was one of those leadership, great leadership moments in my life, decisive, decisiveness, I put the cup there, spider fell in it, I threw the cup very, very far, and the spider was gone, so I felt like a victor, the next morning at breakfast, I'm like, boys, dad found the spider, (laughs) I took care of the spider, it was an amazing moment, my kids cheered, Jude looked at me and said, Dad, I've never loved you more. <laughs> it was a great moment for our family. So anyways, James 4 and verse 1. <laughs> James 4 and verse 1 says, Why do those fights and quarrels, or where do those fights and quarrels among you come from? Why are there arguments and fights and quarrels? They come from your selfish desires that are at war within you, within your bodies, don't they? Does it not come from our own selfishness? You see, why are you struggling to relate to people on the outside? It's because you have selfish desires on the inside. There's a spider on the inside. And that's where we trust in God's grace. So, so our relationships are broken oftentimes because we're broken. And we're isolated because we've experienced the backlash of our own brokenness and of that of others. And so we isolate ourselves in order to protect ourselves. Sometimes we do it because we're worried we're going to let others down. We're so worried. If you knew me, you wouldn't want to be in a relationship with me. That's not God's best for your life. We've got to trust God's grace to deal with with what is happening on the inside of us. And this is where our hope comes in. Our hope comes in the gospel. It comes in what Jesus has done for us, that we can be honest about our brokenness, that we can have faith in a God who sent his son to heal the broken heart. You can be honest about what's happening on the inside of you because God sent his son to die 
for the brokenhearted. This is why we need Jesus, not just for salvation in the area of being moved from, from death into life, but, but from every area of our lives, including our relationships, to be healed and to be whole. It can only come from the grace of Jesus. The truth is, is that none of us could fully embrace God. Without Jesus, all of our interactions with God were like awkward hugs, no connection. No matter how good you are, no matter how much you go to church, no matter how many times you've read your Bible, we couldn't stand in a right relationship with God, but then God made the first move and fully embraced us. He fully embraced us. I reread uh, um, the uh, Ragamuffin Gospel uh, recently, and Brennan Manning writes about a couple, and this is just a beautiful image, and he writes about a young married couple, and uh, the, um, the, the, the bride had um, they f- discovered that there was cancer, a tumor in her face, close to her lip, and they had to cut the, uh, the tumor out in order to save her life, and in cutting the tumor out, unfortunately, they had to sever one of the nerves, and when she woke up, um, the, the husband was standing there, and she woke up, and she w- was starting to speak and starting to smile, but one part of her face and her mouth was completely dead, and, and that part of her lips couldn't move anymore, and she looked at her, at her new husband and said to him, how do I look? And as the pastor tells the story, the husband leant forward and he contorted his, his, his lips to meet hers, to give her this kiss. He, he, he had to bend his own mouth in order to meet her in her brokenness. And he gave her a kiss on the mouth and he said, you look beautiful. And to this pastor standing there witnessing this moment in, in this couple's lives, he said that it was like, It was like witnessing what Jesus did on the cross as he contorted his own body on the cross in order to give us the kiss of grace, in order to meet us in our brokenness, in order to meet us in our shortcomings, in order to meet us in our sins. He turned his mouth, our brokenness, and he kissed us, and he declared that we are beautiful. This is what Jesus did, and that gives us the hope that we can bend and we can allow and we can be flexible and we can, we can meet others with grace. Why? Because Jesus met us with grace. He gave us his grace so that we can, we can bring others close as we've been brought close. And Jesus knows this. We might say that, you know, Jesus must have had the best relationships and people must have loved him and I'm sure he didn't experience loneliness and he didn't experience heartache and he didn't go through the things that I went through. And so he wouldn't understand. But that's not what the scriptures say. The scriptures, in fact, say that Jesus was tempted on every point, yet was without sin. He knows exactly what it's like to be human. He was born, he grew up, he was raised, he was a teenager, he was a young adult, he was an adult. He experienced all that we experience. In Isaiah 53, verse 2 to 3, it says, For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Listen to this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus was betrayed by one of of the people he walked with for three years. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows what loneliness feels like. He knows what it feels like to be abandoned. He was abandoned on the cross by all of us. And so Jesus has compassion. He knows what it feels like. 
I tore the ACL, as many of you know, the ligament in my knee um, about a month ago, and I had surgery, and, um, and I've been going to physio uh, twice a week, and this last week I was sitting there, and the, and the physio is kind of uh, really hurting me, and he's, he's trying to get range of motion back into my knee, and he's pushing it beyond kind of where I feel like, you know, my knee should be going right now, but he says it's all good, and so he's pushing it, and then he asks me, what are you feeling? What does it feel like? Now, I'm trying to describe the way that my knee feels. I'm like, basically like you're ripping my quadricep off, um, but, but it's so difficult to describe, to, and, and my descriptions are always the best, I must tell you. My mechanic asked me the other day, I was hearing a noise in my car, like in the aircon, um, like a high-pitched sound, and my mechanic asked me, like, okay, what does the sound sound like? And I'm like, it sounds like tiny mice are in my aircon welding, okay? <laughs> like, I, surely that gives you a very clear picture. Imagine little with a mask, and he's welding on my aircon pipes. It's exactly what I'm hearing. So I don't know if it's helpful or not, but I'm trying to describe to... Uh, my, my physio, what it feels like. And I'm like, you know, when you, you know when your finger hurts and like it's like sensitive and if you push it, then it's like it stays hurting for a while and like everything you touch and he's like, okay, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, okay, yeah, it hurts. You know, I don't know how else to say it. So, so, um, so anyway, so he, so he says this to me. He says, um, sometimes I wish that I had had that operation so that I would know what it felt like. Because then I could help people more if I knew what it felt like to go through that. And in that moment, I thought that's exactly what Jesus did. In fact, the Bible declares and again and again and again, that's why we have a compassionate high priest. Because he went through it. If you're saying, God, I'm lonely, God goes, I know what that feels like. If you're saying, God, I've been rejected, Jesus says, I know what that feels like. God, people despise me, I know what that feels like. Jesus, I've, I've lost some friends. I know what that feels like. Jesus knows what you're going through. He's felt it himself, and therefore we have a compassionate high priest. And that's why we can go to God when we fail. We can go to God with our flaws, and we can be honest, because there is no condemnation. There is no shame. He only wants to liberate you and give you grace. And so I believe that the more we grow in Christ and in our identity with him, the more we'll be able to connect with each other. You know that you can only connect with others once you stop trying to impress them. Our problem sometimes is that we're trying to impress people instead of connect with them. But when we can just be ourselves, we can just be open, we can just know our identities, we know where we're coming from and we know where we're going, we're able to not only fully embrace God, but we can embrace others. And yes, there might still be some hurt and some disappointment, but you know what? His grace is sufficient. He'll protect you through all of that. So we can take steps of faith like Jesus did. Jesus was willing to take a bit of awkwardness. When, when he sat with his disciples and he tied that towel around his, his waist and he started washing their feet, I can imagine them going, can, can you just imagine right now anybody just washing your feet? Like it, doesn't, it, could be, it could be your husband or wife. It'd still be like, this is a little bit weird. But now imagine the Son of God getting down and washing your feet. Jesus was willing to, to take a bit of that awkwardness in order to express his heart and to connect with others. And, and, and the reason why Jesus could do that is because he knew where he was coming from and he knew where he was going. And here's the beautiful thing. Jesus washed 
Judas' feet. He washed the feet even of those who he knew would betray him. Because he knew that even through the betrayals, God had a plan. Do you know that if it wasn't for Judas, Jesus wouldn't be crucified. And we wouldn't be saved today. If somebody didn't betray him in that moment, the plan of God couldn't come to fruition. And so it's amazing how God would even be able to do miraculous, redemptive things through things that, that are not good. That he can work all things together for good. So you might have had some relational breakdowns. You may have failed miserably in your relationships. You may have had people betray you. You know what? God's redemptive plan is at work. Through that, he can bless you and develop you and change you and, and lead you into his plan. And so Jesus says at the end of all of this, this is how I want you to love. With no reserve, not playing it safe, but loving others wholeheartedly. And I believe that the church actually plays, the church is a community. And as a community, we play a redemptive role in society. And so I want to encourage you this morning, let's be a community that's different. Not cynical, not skeptical, not doubting motives, not uh, distant you know, or disconnected. But let's see the sanctity and the dignity in each other. And let's see the sanctity and the sacredness of our relationships with each other. And let's be an example to the world. Jesus says, by this they will know that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, if you love one another. Each of your relationships that you have in your life is sacred. And so I want to encourage you here in, in, in our first message as part of our sacred series to see your relationships as sacred, to go out there and to love people and to value your relationships and to value your connections in the same way that Jesus has loved you. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.